invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page Everybody listen carefully. This is God's word to us, even now. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Pray, pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make these words your words to us tonight, that you would give us ears that can hear and eyes that can see and hearts that can feel. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Do you like to be served? Do you like to be served? I would guess there's something inside each of us that would require us to admit that we like the idea of becoming someone with such power and prominence and prestige that others would feel the need to wait upon us hand and foot. Imagine pulling up to a nice restaurant Someone rushes out the door, opens your car door, parks your car for you, escorts you inside to your table. You're met there at the table by the chef. He wants to tell you about all that he's prepared for you on this evening. I think most of us would be, would be in for that kind of experience. We'd sign up for that kind of service. Or you may not have heard, but the Masters started today. Imagine driving through the fence there 
at Augusta National and you pull up to the clubhouse and someone walks out and they get your clubs out of your trunk and they hand them to your caddy. You don't have golf carts here. Come on. To your caddy who's ready to walk you around the course, ensure that your experience is perfect before you go in for lunch, maybe some egg salad or pimento cheese. I am one of those people that I'd have to admit that all of this sounds good. Sounds like it'd be nice for other people to recognize me and serve me in such a way. But there's another type of service that most of us resist. This is the type of service that others must render to us, not because we're powerful or prestigious, but because we're weak and needy. And we cannot perform even the most basic tasks for ourselves. You see, in our collective cultural imagination, we embrace the notion that one of our primary goals in life is to be strong, independent, self-sufficient, a person who has everything under control, and some of us shudder. We shudder at the thought of being exposed to someone who's weak and dependent and in need of others to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I have a vivid memory, memory here in this church of a time when I was exposed as weak and needy. I think it was my second year of ministry here at the church. I was the minister to students. We were still living in the yellow missionary house. And I was out with students playing ultimate frisbee, which is something that every minister to students ought to be able to do. We were out there. It was a beautiful day. We were passing the frisbee back and forth. And I remember I, I came down on my hill kind of funny. And I had a little, little twinge, but nothing so bad that I couldn't keep playing the game. And we finished the day. And I didn't think that much about it. Went on with the rest of my life through the evening. But in the days that followed, became painfully aware, no pun intended, that something wasn't right in my back. And it felt like with each day someone was twisting the crank in the back and things were getting tighter. And so I woke up one Sunday morning, not any Sunday morning, graduate recognition Sunday, which for a minister to students is a big deal. The minister to students cannot call in sick on graduate recognition Sunday. So I got out of the bed that morning and... I could barely put my socks and shoes on. So much pain in my back. I said, nope, grit, determination, will, you get over to that church. And so I somewhat hobbled across the parking lot to the church. Thought I was going to be able to make it through the day. I was over there in Hudson Hall, that beautiful room. All the food was out. And something in me said, leave the room. Leave now. So I listened to that inner voice and I headed toward the back door, hopeful that I could get out of the room before everybody had to see what was about to happen, but I could not. I got to the door jam at the back of Hudson Hall and all I could do was hang on, friends. And there I was, suspended in the doorway, unable to move. Now, I can only imagine what everybody was thinking in the room that day. 
How long did it take them to notice that I was sitting over there hanging on for dear life? But eventually, they went and they found a wheelchair. They pushed it over to the door frame and I kind of gingerly sat down. And I took the ride of shame across the parking lot. They opened that door in the back door of the yellow house and I kind of got in there and I was sitting there on that, on that couch trying not to move. And I was concerned about my back. Of course, who wouldn't be? But there was an injury much worse than the back. Everybody think, what, what has this search committee done? The personnel committee not give this guy a, a full physical? Like an MLB player before he gets signed? Make sure this guy's well? There's one of those things about ministers and students, just like you should show up for graduate recognition Sunday, you feel like you ought to be able to go out and hang out with kids and do active things. And there I was on that couch, unable to move and thinking about the ramifications of that. There's a song by one of my favorite, favorite bands called the Avet Brothers. I've mentioned them to you before. It's called I Go to My Heart. And they have these lines in this song. It says, what do I do when my body lets me down? Who am I without dark hair and a pair of working hands? How do I stop this outro talking about age and time that I'm headed for? Where do I turn when I can't take it anymore? My body had let me down. My ability to work was threatened. Everybody knew about it. And eventually, eventually this will happen to all of us, will it not? As hard as we try to look young and stay active and and do all the things, we know that eventually this comes for, for all of us. And one day, if the Lord lets you live long enough, you're going to need other people to do things for you. You need them to serve you, not because you're incredible and impressive, but because you can't do the things that you need to do to make daily life possible. I believe this distinction between others serving you because you're powerful and impressive and others serving you because you're weak, I think this distinction is at the heart of the passage that's before us here on Monday, Thursday. Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. He's on the verge of laying down his life for them on the cross. And suddenly, in the middle of the meal, he gets up. Odd timing for washing everyone's feet. The event itself was not odd. A servant would have done this regularly, but it was odd that here they are in the middle of the meal and he gets up. He takes off his outer clothes, wraps himself with a towel, pours water in a basin, and he starts making his way around the table to each of the disciples washing their feet. No, nobody objects except for who? Peter. Everybody's favorite disciple. Yeah. Peter can't contain himself. He says, Lord, 
what are you doing? There's no way I'm going to allow you to wash my feet. No way. And there's two things I think that Peter had right. One, he had it right in calling Jesus Lord. He's 100% accurate in who he identifies Jesus as in this moment. And he's also right that if Jesus is Lord, and if he's washing Jesus, uh, Peter's feet because he's paying homage to him, or he's doing it because Peter is prestigious or powerful or worthy of it, then, then I think Peter was right to object. But he's going to see that this, this foot washing episode is not in itself a unique event. It's this living, active parable that, that Jesus is about to go, and he's about to stoop lower than washing people's feet. He's about to go all the way to the cross. And in the ultimate act of humility, lay his life down for the sins of you, for the sins of me, and for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Either I wash your feet or you're out. And Peter wonderfully says, well, fine then. Wash everything. I want all of what you have to offer, Jesus. In this act, Jesus is, is trying to help us see that he came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this event, he is showing us that while we would like to be thought of as strong and powerful and independent and capable, not really in need of anyone's service or anyone's help, that our real identity, every one of us, apart from God's grace revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, every one of us, is weak and helpless and in need of the service that Jesus would render to us on the cross. If you don't allow Jesus to serve you, if you don't admit that you're weak and needy and in help of what he only can provide you, then you can have no part in him. I think there's a couple of things that I want us to take from this passage tonight as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table and as we prepare our hearts to think about Good Friday tomorrow and Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. And the first of them is this individual salvation. Christianity and the good news of the gospel is not that you can do anything to merit God's affection and love for you. You can't be from the right place or belong to the right people. Read the Bible enough, go to church enough, give enough, fill in the blank. That each of us, according to Scripture, we are we're weak and needy. That's the whole point that Jesus came into the world so that he might do for us what we could not do for ourselves. In a few minutes, we're going to come to this table together. And I want you to think when you come forward that have that picture of me hanging on to the door frame in your mind. 
hobbling around, trying to get home, carry it home. All of us, no matter how we appear on the outside tonight, that's our true condition. And if we don't admit that and come and allow Jesus to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, then we have no part in him as individuals. And then corporately, corporately, it's really hard to be a part of church when you think that everybody else in the room has got it all together. It's really hard for you to be the first one to say, I'm weak. I don't have it all together. I don't measure up. Somebody help me in my weakness. Somebody help me in my weakness. Because Jesus would say that his disciples ought to love one another and serve one another in the very same manner that he served them by washing their feet and ultimately by going to the cross. I think that's what church is supposed to be. A bunch of people who admit, one, that they're sinful and weak and needy and can only experience salvation as Christ serves them graciously and generously. And then they look around and they recognize that everybody's the same way. Everybody else is trying to wrangle their kids into the car to get to church. Everybody else maybe said something to their kids they would never say in Sunday school on the way to church. Everybody's thought things, done things, left things undone. Not one of us here is perfect. An invitation to Christian community is to find yourself in an environment of grace where you can tell other people about your struggles and your fears and your failures and allow them to serve you. Allow them to serve you. If you're like me, you don't always like letting people serve you. Someone's sick at your house. Even, even an easy way. Let me bring you dinner. Nah, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Let me do this, let me do that. Nah, we're good, we're good, we're good. But I think a lot of people in our world are looking for a community of people that aren't okay and that confess that they're not okay and extend grace and generosity and serve each other in love. Pray that would increasingly be the case at Mount Brook Baptist Church. Um, may it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.